Welcome to Believing the Bible with Scott Lane and Terry Reed of the San Antonio Bible-Based Science Association with a message of hope in today's troubled world based on biblical truths. We hope that today's program is enlightening and inspirational. Professor, Professor, I just heard the most awful news. There's a hole in the ozone. What does that mean? Calm down, Gilligan. This has been a problem scientists have been following for many years now. For the most part, the stratospheric ozone layer is intact. But the guy on the news sounded like it was a big deal. What is ozone anyway? Well, Gilligan, ozone is a form of oxygen. Generally, oxygen in the atmosphere is in the form of O2, or two oxygen atoms clinging together. But when exposed to certain wavelengths of ultraviolet light, it can ionize to O3, or a molecule of three oxygen atoms, called ozone. Gee, Professor, is ionizing bad? Yes, it can be, but in the case of forming ozone in the upper atmosphere, it's a good thing. You see, the ozone decreases the penetration of certain types of harmful UV radiation to the Earth's surface. Too much UV radiation would kill life on Earth. Wow, that's so cool. Where did oxygen come from? That's an excellent question, Gilligan. In Earth's primordial atmosphere, there was no oxygen. For oxygen would actually keep the simple single-celled organisms, Earth's earliest life forms, from forming in the first place. Some of those primitive organisms evolved into algae, which over millions of years developed the capacity to generate oxygen. As oxygen reaches the stratosphere, it becomes ionized into ozone, thus protecting life here on Earth. Hmm. Uh, Professor, would UV light also kill the earliest simple single-celled organisms? Of course it would, but the ozone layer prevents that. Oh, yeah. But wait... That doesn't make sense, because you said there wasn't any oxygen in the beginning, so how could the ozone layer form? Don't worry, little buddy. It doesn't have to make sense to us. We have scientists who explain these things. Right, Professor? Hmm. Actually, Skipper, Gilligan has a point. I may have just subjected myself to the logical fallacy of circular reasoning. <laughs> in here, I thought I was the only one who went around in circles. <laughs> Welcome to Believing the Bible. This is Scott Lane with Terry Reed and Dr. Daniel Harris, as well as our producer Ed Salzwell, all directors at the San Antonio Bible-Based Science Association. We are here to reassure you you can believe the Bible from the very first verse. We've got that kickoff skit, which we often start with. Dr. Harris, you commented that there were two problems with that skit scientifically. Go ahead and do so. Well, one is that to ionize something to make an extra atom, you have to ionize something in order to create a single atom, which then combines with oxygen. The two-atom oxygen combines with the split oxygens from the ionization. That's how you get oxygen with three atoms. Now, I don't remember what the other one was. It was indeed circular reasoning, as was pointed out. At the beginning of the Earth, there was oxygen. We have iron oxide in the, the so-called Cambrian shield which is the region in North America that is supposed to be the oldest rocks. Those oldest rocks have oxygen because they have iron oxide, and that's an indication that the Earth's 
earliest atmosphere obviously did have oxygen. And so to say that the Earth's early atmosphere did not have oxygen is one of the fallacies that is used. The primordial soup dogma of origins and it's a, it's a lie. Incidentally, you caught up with the second thing that you were thinking about that was incorrect in that skit is the secular idea that the early Earth had no oxygen. Yeah. And uh, as you said, oxidation that we find in the very lowest rock strata disproves that. While the explanation of ionization may have been incorrect, what they were trying to get through there was some very simple facts. People get confused about ozone. Ozone in upper atmosphere, good, because it protects us from harmful UV radiation. But then they say, well, we've got to get rid of ozone in the cities and that kind of stuff, because on, at ground level, it's not good for us. Yes, it's not good for the lungs, though. Right. This messes with the cells in the lungs. I have a personal experience with that. I made the mistake of buying a machine that was supposed to get rid of odors in my house, and it turned out that it was generating ozone, and it affected my lungs. Nice way of screwing yourself up, and you bought the product. Oh yeah, well I didn't buy it for much. <laughs> I got a great discount. It was supposed to be a thousand dollars, and I got it for something much less than that, but still it messed me up. What this does talk about is origin of life issues. It's a good piece of what we're going to talk about. There are people who are very concerned about thinning of the ozone layer. Right now there are holes over the poles in that, as long as that incidence of the sun and the earth remains, uh, that's not a negative factor for us because we are still protected. There's not many people living in Antarctica these days. Yeah, yeah, a true statement. Terry, when you heard that skit, what did you think? I actually discussed this in my article, uh, The Great Oxidation Event and LGBTQ Acceptance, where I commented on an article in my alumni magazine, uh, Missouri S&T Magazine, and the Articles titled The Beginning of Life as We Know It. They isolated minerals and rocks to measure the oxygen levels, and this is good science. But that does not say anything about the age of the rocks. They used other methods to date the rocks. So a person doing a casual reading of the article would think that the really good science of measuring the oxygen levels in the various minerals and the rocks confirmed the time of this alleged great oxidation event. 2.4 billion years ago, but in reality, this is just another research project that makes old earth Darwinistic conclusions when it starts out with old earth Darwinistic assumptions. And also, I remember back in the 70s, they were worried about the ozone layer. Now they are worried about man-made global warming slash climate change. They can't even decide what that is. But I would say what is really destroying this country and what we really have to worry about now is the breakdown of the nuclear family and rejection of the Bible as truth. <laughs> Terry, you are a unique individual. I don't think anybody else could float an argument from the ozone layer to LGBTQ. Gosh, that is fascinating. You are listening to Believing the Bible. This is Scott Lane with Terry Reed, Dr. Daniel Harris, and Ed Salzadell. If you would like to learn more, go to sabsa.org. That is S-A-B-B-S-A.org. Today we're talking about not really the whole, the, the ozone layer, but really the origin of life, because that's what was implicit in this yet. There are very big differences in the biblical worldview and the secular worldview. The secular worldview believes there was a Hadean earth, a molten earth. After it cooled about three billion years ago, there was a biotic soup of some type in the oceans or in water. 
in which a miracle occurred and life formed, whereas the biblical record tells us that somewhere just to several thousand years ago, God created this planet in the same week, created all life, including us. When you get weighed into this whole discussion of, at all, Daniel, what do you think? Well, I have got 40 years experience in this, I guess, now by looking at the dramatic difference between the two. The thing that impresses me most that I share with people is the fact that in order to have life, you have to have information information in order to organize the various sequence of amino acids in, in proteins. The, you have to have DNA and you have to have proteins themselves. You can't make the DNA without the proteins and you can't make the proteins without the DNA. And the information has to be embedded in the DNA and the proteins on the very first day that they start operating. This is one of the things that Dr. Dean Kenyon impressed with that converted him from being one of the main promoters of naturalism to the believer in intelligent design. Information has to be there. There is no random process that can create information, organized information. You have to have hundreds of proteins in a cell in order for it to function. Hundreds. And they each must have the exact correct sequence of amino acids one after another the idea that you could have random set just doesn't work. In the Miller-Urey experiment, which is commonly referenced as the indicator that this happened, it did not produce any ordered sequences. And there were as many left-handed amino acids as there were right-handed amino acids. And all it takes is one right-handed amino acid in a protein in order to make it toxic. So you can't say that life arises out of this stuff, this tar-like goo is produced in the Miller-Urey experiment. It did not have oxygen in that atmosphere. But the first atmosphere, early atmosphere. And they said that was the early atmosphere, but it, it did not have oxygen, but it had to. And water is one of the things that destroys proteins. There was plenty of water. So, and there was no trap. In the Miller-Urey experiment, there's a trap to separate the goo from the water. So it was very artificial, did not represent the reality of what goo we could say an early earth situation would be. And, and so the whole thing just falls apart. The problems you've been describing show that you couldn't just have accidental life, that it had to be designed and fully complete in terms of a system before it ever occurred. These kind of problems led the structure of the DNA molecule, Dr. Francis Crick, to believe that life could have never started here. Now, he wasn't a God believer, and so he got into weird things about panspermia, that it was imported, and that type mm -hmm. of stuff. But folks, when we look at this argument, what you're seeing is good evidence that life was created by God. Information for creation events in our area are on our website's calendar page. For more information or to schedule a presentation, go to sabsa.org or call 210-599-7240. When you go to our website, you can click on a link to our newsletter. Our website has a link for contact information on which you can order our newsletter to be emailed to you or you can call us. Also go to whyshouldyoubelieve.com. That is Terry's website containing articles looking at current day issues from a biblical perspective. Sabsa meets the 
second Tuesday of each month at 7 p.m. We are now meeting at Faith Lutheran Church just south of the corner of Jones Maltzberger in Thousand Oaks. There you will find biblical apologetics and creation science teaching found nowhere else in Bear County, as well as the availability of books and videos on these important subjects. If you missed any part of this show, you can listen to the show anytime by going to the AM 630 KSLR, the Word in South Texas website. Click on KSLR Podcast, scroll down until you find Believing the Bible. Please join us again next Saturday for Believing the Bible. I'm Scott Lane, and for Terry Reed, Dr. Carl Williams, and Ed Salswell, thanks for listening, and we hope you found today a reason to believe the Bible.